Welcome to Jiri Snacks, snackable episodes about the Jiri exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. We have an affordable $199 online Jiri course that includes everything you need to ace your Jiri exam. A full textbook, tons of Jiri questions backed by our memory enhancing algorithm, and full length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Amy Seeley from Seeley Test Pros back on the show. And Amy, if you don't mind just giving your intro again for the people who may not have heard the previous episodes, I uh, would love to just have you share what your uh, your background and where you're from. So I am the president of Seeley Test Pros in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, we work with students, obviously, in the greater Cleveland area, as well as across across the interwebs, right, via Zoom, the beauty that has been provided <laughs> to us through COVID. Um, um, but I have been in, you know, we work with students for all kinds of tests. So that means we work with students in anticipation of high school admissions exams, college admissions exams, and then obviously grad school exams like the GRE. Um, I have been in the test prep space for a very long time. I'm entering my, I think, 29th year of being in test preparation. Nice. It's what I love. It's what I live and breathe. Um, and so which gives me the sort of experience and expertise to do to, to have the conversations like we've been having. Um, I also am the co-host of the Test and the Rest uh, College Admissions Industry podcast, where we release episodes every Tuesday, Friday, and we talk about all things testing, test prep, education, learning. Um, so people who want to learn more about all that good stuff can check it out. But I'm also um, recently the founding a founding board member of the National Test Prep Association, which is a nonprofit industry group who um, works with test prep professionals across the U.S. and the world um, in an effort to collaborate and to share information to make us better at what we do. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, just, <laughs> you you know a lot of people and you know a lot of things about this space at this point. You know, well, when you're doing something for 29 years, I think you you wake up one day and you go, I guess I do. You know, you you don't realize you're accumulating and accumulating, and then you you meet other people and like, yeah, I have I have some knowledge that maybe I could share with others. Yeah, and on that today, uh, today's topic is how to try out the answers or back solve a problem. And this is a little different than plugging in numbers. So, I mean, maybe let's start with sort of distinction between those two strategies. So it is interesting because, you know, two very core mathematics strategies, I would say, for virtually any mathematics standardized exam you're going to ever take. And so that's like in my world, every single student I ever work with mathematically is going to get me talking about picking numbers and using the answers. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, use the answers has more limited value than a strategy like pick a number where you obviously are using answer choices because use the answers presumes that there are answer choices to you. So if you've got a question where there are no answer choices, obviously that's going to reduce the viability of the strategy across math. But the basic idea right, with use the answers is that we're dealing with what could or let's say should be some algebraic type of problem. Where And of course, that could be a story problem. That could be some kind of just straight up, you know, equations or whatever. But the idea is that we are solving for something, right? And so we usually tell our students, the question will often end or the, the actual reading of what you're reading is probably going to end with a question about how many is something. 
how much is something or what is a particular value or amount. Could be, you know, how old is Bob? How much is X? Where those answer choices that are going to appear are essentially potential options that that thing you're looking for could be. And so as with many things algebra, we are going to find that certainly for some students, if algebra is challenging, if algebra is tricky, um, if they've forgotten a lot of those algebraic concepts, as we know our GRE students might if they have not done math for many years. Um, and that's kind of the dilemma of some GRE clients, if, especially if they're older. Let's say they're, they've been out of school and they're coming back to wanting to go to grad school. Some of those algebraic skills are really atrophied. But even a student who's just finishing college may say, look, I haven't done this since I was in high school. Part is their brain just doesn't automatically translate, you know, problems into algebraic expressions. And so the basic idea right. with, with using the answer choices is that we say, oh, well, you don't have to translate this into variables and equations. Why not look at those answer choices provided and say to yourself, well, gee, if I want to know how old Bob is, I'm going to go down to my answers um, and I'm going to probably start with a middle value, right? Like I'm not going to start mm. with the biggest or smallest necessarily. We could talk about the exception to that. But the basic premise is that I'm going to try one of those numbers on the answer choices, put it back into the question and run it through all of the parameters or situations that are established in the question. And at the end of all that, I'm going to verify, did that number do what it was supposed to do in the sense of like matching something they told me it was supposed to do? Whether at the end right. it was supposed to equal something else or whether it was supposed to equal 55 or a particular number. So we're just really running scenarios, but we're doing it, again, more in the situation of life, right? If I'm saying, mm -hmm. well, if Bob were 20 and I go back to the problem, I say, okay, well, if... Tom is double that, well, Tom would be 40. You know, and if Susie was five years older than that, she'd be 45 or whatever. Was Susie supposed to be 45? Well, if she was, then I found the right answer. So the right. basic idea is just you're just running a number from the answer choices through the problem. And so sometimes when we're thinking about it in terms of just a very practical real world situation, that may be easier to walk through than understanding how I would have created variables, how I would have... Mm -hmm you know, establish that equation. Um, and so that's essentially what it's doing is turning something into more real world. Um, but the basic premise, though, is if we're going to try out those answer choices, we want to start with a middle value so that if we try a middle right. value first and it if it's the answer, awesome, you pick it, you move on. Mm -hmm. um, but if that value were to be too large and you need a smaller number, well, now, right, the savvy tester can say, well, which of those answer choices are smaller? If there's only one answer that's smaller, well, then you just pick that and you can move on, which can even be a time saver. Um, but if you realize that you tried an answer and it's, you know, um, too small, then now your next move is to go to an answer choice that that would be larger. So, um, you know, some students will say, well, gee, trying out all the answer choices can be time consuming. Well, not if you're thinking about where is a good place to start with your using answers. Yeah, at a bare minimum, if you're picking the middle answer, that means that you kind of, you're going to get directional feedback on, on what the answer choice needs to be. Though with the caveat that sometimes there will be inverses and things like that in the problem, 
Well, just like make sure that there's no like tricky stuff like that that'll actually flip the direction. Well, and there is, and there, and there's certainly, um, you know, and again, you're gonna always hear me sort of, you know, spouse the values of like practice, practice, practice. Um, but no, you're a hundred percent right. Yes, there are definitely scenarios where it's like, mm, not quite what's gonna happen here. But I think as you, if you're first initially trying to get comfortable with the strategy, that is just such a, a an awesome thing to realize. Like, oh, they're there can be a way at least to be savvy about the how I engage with answers. The right. kind of quintessential exception, though, of course, is if you're being given a question where it says, what is the minimum or what is the smallest or what is the least something can be, then that's going to be the exception to starting with the middle, right? Because if they are mm-hmm. talking about being the least, then the first answer choice I should begin with is the smallest because... If the smallest works, then I've saved myself the trouble of starting with the middle, not knowing like, oh, could there be a smaller one? Um, Or in situations where they've requested like, what's the maximum or what's the greatest something can be, then the savvy guy is starting with the biggest answer choice that was provided. Right. Okay. Are there any other exceptions or rules that you have for for this tactic? Those are the... Well, only ones like that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm wondering if you're thinking one that I'm just not remembering at this exact moment. No, no, I'm not. I, I didn't have something specific. Okay, in good. Because I was like, oh, let me see if I can jog my brain. But really, the exceptions I usually go to, like, well, once I teach the idea of using the answer choices, I like to provide students with then those other ones. Are like, okay, but now this situation, you know, um, is where I would not want you to think starting in the middle would be to your advantage. Right. And then in general with with this approach, are there specific problem types that you feel like it's best suited for? Or, yeah. So I will say from a student perspective, um, you know, one of the interesting things just about story problems in general is when you read questions, you're just kind of following the story, right? Like, Mm-hmm. But you're not thinking like mathematically, like what is this question at its heart? Um, so one of the the initial things that comes to mind for me is actually systems of equations mm-hmm. where yeah. you're like reading this and you're talking about like multiple things. Um, there's there's a question like about um, salads and drinks that they're, you know, um, salads cost so much money and drinks cost so much money. And talking about, well, how many salads and how many drinks and what the total cost would be. And so Mm -hmm. I think for students, sometimes that can be kind of overwhelming because there's just all these relationships being established in the question, which could make anyone's head spin. But if I could say, well, look, they want to know how many salads there are. If I go down to that middle answer, say, look, if there's 12 salads, then if salads are $2.50, how much would right. that be, you know, and if the number of salads plus the number, you know, it just allows you to then just walk through, you know, if I'm putting an order at a food counter, <laughs> like, here's how this would play out. Um, right. I find that, that that sort of particular example, at least for a lot of my students, is very helpful because they didn't right. have to be like 2S plus 3D equals whatever, they're just like salads and drinks, two fifty for one, three dollars for another, or whatever, right? Well, and I think um, you actually touched on something that I think is uh, 
to me at least is kind of like the core thing that's really um interesting is you are getting a chance to see how the problem's mechanics will play out when you actually put the number in. Well, what's really interesting about testing, and if if you, you know, a lot of times I think what students don't or testers don't think about is the the content creation. What is Mm -hmm. the test writer doing in creating this problem one or creating the answer choices, which is, you know, and creating, providing the wrong answers. So I do feel like, you know, the mechanics of it, sometimes are such that, you know, if we understand where there are potential pitfalls, like a good example of that would be, um, even for a student who's doing algebraically, they're not turning salads into, they're turning it into X, salads and drinks or X and Y. It's like, mm-hmm. uh-oh, first potential problem, don't make the variable an X and a Y when it's S for salad, D for drink, right? Like students will sometimes start doing things that then create these potential like error traps down the road. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes again, the benefit of a strategy is to realize that it may avoid the problem. And so one of those things that we we actually know about test orchestration or test question creation is that the test writer is going to put the errors there that they know students will make in like the setup of the problem, which is I think what you're kind of alluding to is, Mm -hmm. and some questions like we say to students, the only way to do it is to use the answers. So if you don't naturally even think to use the answers, you're actually, you're fighting against the man there. Um, Right. And so, and even like there are some questions where you might come up with two solutions and I'm air quoting that by the way, but then you try both those two solutions, you realize actually one of them doesn't work. So if you had just started off with the premise of using the answer choices to begin with, you mm. would never think that that number would have worked because you actually tried and verified. So the beauty of using the answer choices you're doing, it's a twofer. You're doing two things at one time. As you are finding your answer, you are verifying that it actually worked, which is one right. thing that algebra does not provide for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm I'm curious because you just said that there's like a couple of question types that you feel like you should always plug in the answers. Do you know what those are off the top of your head? So this is where, uh, you know, I actually I tell people I am not a math teacher. So for what it's worth, even though I do test prep, I have mm. no formalized math training at all. Um, so I'm purely operating on like, you know, some training I received, but then at the same time, just what I picked up over the years. But so in terms of terminology, but I'm trying to think about, like, I don't even know what I would call it, but a situation where you might solve a quadratic or do something where you come up with two solutions or something, but then when you go to try it out, because of some weirdness of the question, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work in a scenario or or maybe it's a parameter. And I to be fair, I'm not thinking of a specific problem off the top of my head. I just know that... I deal with this all the time where I'm like, see, guys, if you had just done this to begin with. But usually mm-hmm. it's a situation where it might just say, you know, what are the solutions to this? And if you look right. at answer choices and there's like, well, one is one and one is negative one or one is four and one. There's just some weirdness of the problem where it's like, oh, they're going to think it's two answers two potential solutions. But if they actually tried them out, they'd find no, no, the one of them just doesn't work. Right. Got it. 
And then, um, any other thoughts on on essentially this tactic, right? On on back solving and trying out numbers. Well, I think as with anything for students, a student who may come to test prep with a stronger algebraic sort of background or foundation is going to find strategies like using the answer choices or as we talked about before pick a number they're gonna they're gonna find them a little sus like whoa wait a second why wouldn't I just use these algebraic chops that I've sort of you know these muscles that I've built over the years and mm-hmm. I think that's the ultimate dilemma for those students is that in test prep to me what is really critical is that there are strategies out there for a reason which is why you know people like us get paid the big bucks right and right. if you if you fight against the strategies, you are fighting against that knowledge and experience that a test prep professional has to say, no, 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 this is this is why everyone sits in your seat and, and misses points or comes to us is because there are different ways of navigating questions that are extremely mm-hmm. effective and extremely efficient. Um, and so like it's just this idea of if I know the potential pitfalls that a student's going to make in doing it the algebraic way kind of coming along to my ideas or my way is a sort of kind of call it the speedway highway. Like you're in the fast lane, you're not in the slow lane. And so that's sometimes what strategies like use the answers provide. It's an alternative way of thinking, but is very much in line with just how we know test writers write questions and provide answer choices and ultimately may put the student's mindset in the right framework to get an answer, get a correct answer. Right. And it's, it's something that we, you know, a lot of guests have said on this podcast is that, you know, this, this isn't a test where showing your work gets you extra credit. Like, it's, it's very much the and in a lot of cases, a, a problem will have sort of like a brute force way to solve it. And that might take you four minutes, which is way too long. And then there's a fast way to solve it, right? There's a, a there's a good friend of mine who said something recently in uh in the test prep tribe Facebook group on and somebody had suggested something and he said, yeah, but that looks like you're bringing like a jackhammer, where all you needed was a hammer, right? Like like so sometimes we have to think about there are ways to engage with questions mm-hmm. where something just is going to be more naturally beneficial. And so sometimes students come want to come to problems with ways that might just not be the most effective way, but it it causes, they have to, it forces them to sort of evaluate that not all learning and knowledge is going to be what you use on every single question. So that's where mm-hmm. strategies play this role of being open to different ways. And, and so that going back to that analogy, part of test prep is having maybe starting with a toolbox of tools but realizing you want a lot of different tools in those toolboxes and at your toolbox, in which case something like use the answers, pick a number, become these various tools that you learn to use in different scenarios. Right. And you're showing up kind of to the problem saying like, do I need a wrench? Do I need a exactly. screwdriver? Right? Yeah. Not that I can't use a hammer for some different things that are, that it was, was not intended for, but it's just this idea of if I know specifically where hammers work best, then I'm going to use the hammer versus, you know, the wrench or the screwdriver. Right. Great. That is, I think, a really great thing to end on, actually. <laughs> I like that analogy. This has been Jiri Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Amy Seeley from Seeley Test Pros. Achievable has a great online Jiri course that you can try for free at achievable.me. And if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout.